How many of you, this is the first Sunday you've been with us. You've not been here. You're visiting this morning. Anybody visiting for the first time? No visitors today. That's highly unusual. Oh, Pete. Okay, good, Pete. Good to have you here. It's interesting how, I don't like the word interesting. It is wonderful how the Holy Spirit orchestrates things. One of the emphases that Kurt Roberts, everyone know Kurt Roberts, our worship leader this morning? Where are you, Kurt? Did he leave? His emphasis was on hope. You saw that. And Keith's emphasis is on hope, what's going to happen. And I think if we were to ask the man on the street, you know how you walk around. If you have one thing to hope for, just one, one, one thing to hope for. And God would grant that hope to you. What would it be? One hope, one issue, one thing. What would we hope for? Think about it. Because, you know, we face the issues of the day. <clears throat> we face the issues of elections, of COVID. And we've noticed, haven't we, how much our lives are formed and fashioned by the object of our hope. If you had one thing to hope for, you remember on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, Jesus has died. This man in whom this band of disciples had put all of their hope. There was never a man like this that you could actually say, this man some way mysteriously meets every need of my heart, of my soul, of my body, of my life. There's something about this, this man. Could this be the man that has been prophesied? And then as we look into the verses in chapter 24 of Luke, we find these two disciples walking from Jerusalem back to Emmaus. And I don't think they're walking like this. I think they're bent down. believe their eyes are swollen with grief. Their minds are swirling. What now? What now? And you remember what they said when Jesus began to talk with them. We were hoping. At this point, they don't know who Jesus is. We, they just know he's a man that 
Let's come alongside of them. Where you at? Let's walk together. What's the matter with y'all? We were hoping. But now our hope is crucified and has been buried. And how does Jesus address his hope? Oh, come on, come on, Tommy, come on. Get, get your life together. Think positive thoughts. Become involved with activities. Do something. There's absolutely nothing we can do to increase our hope or to maintain it, essentially. Because you see, that hope rests in the work of God. And when Jesus broke bread with them, all of a sudden they realized, oh, oh my, he's alive. He's alive. He's alive. And what sprang back to life in their hearts? What? Their what? Hope. Everything changed. They turned around and went back to Jerusalem with the most amazing testimonies. He's alive. Because Jesus had risen, everything changed. If we had one hope, one hope, what would it be? Would it be for all the things around us in our lives, in the politics and the pandemic and all of that, our jobs, our securities, our homes, getting the power back on? Or is the hope of the church the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? Is that what our hope is? Every other hope subservient and submitted to that one hope. Is that our hope? In Colossians 1, 3 and 5, Paul says, we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 5, why do we give thanks? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So this is what's been happening in the Corinthian church by the time we get to chapter 15. Hope has been attacked. Oh, they have all kinds of difficulties, functional and relational difficulties. But the most significant of all the problems and the difficulties of the church rests on some way a bothering of this foundational hope of the resurrection. Some folks were teaching 
Yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, we, we know that. I mean, we have some people in the congregation here today that, in fact, we have seen Jesus. Some of us have even seen him. There were people alive in the church at the time of the writing of this epistle that actually saw Jesus physically alive after the resurrection. I was there. I talked to him. We sat with him. We heard him. He is alive. So the question isn't, is Jesus alive? He is alive. The question is, how does his life impact ours today? What does it mean for us and our future? Can you imagine at the funeral, your loved one has just died. And the pastor gets up there and starts talking about how wonderful your mama was, your daddy, your brother, your son, whoever. And then said, but you know, He's not going to live anymore. He's not going to live again. What would all the words of adulation mean if he's not going to live again? What do we hope for when we attend a service for a loved one? What are we really hoping for? What are we hoping for? What? He's going to live again. That's our hope. So Paul addresses this issue that, no, Jesus rose, but we're not going to rise. So Paul wants to address this issue. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is showing Paul this is an essential, perhaps one of the most essential activities of the enemy to undermine the security, the dynamics, the safety of the church. So if you would, turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll be looking at verses 12 to 20 this morning. And it's, it's really a very simple, logical progression of thought. It's just a simple, logical progression of thought that the Holy Spirit has given to the Apostle Paul to refute this false teaching that we have no resurrection. Now, I think today there's probably no one in this congregation that believes we don't believe that we're going to rise again. But that was their issue. But what we'll find in Paul addressing this issue is something very exciting. We're going to learn some of the awesome central significance of why the resurrection is absolutely determinative in our salvation. Absolutely intricately connected to the death of Jesus. One of the things we have to be very careful of when we talk about the ministry of the life of Jesus on earth, we have to be careful not to make absolutely too much of any particular activity because the life of Jesus, beginning with his inception in the womb of Mary to his ruling and reigning from heaven above is a series of works that God produces and carries out in his son for the sole benefit of God's purpose for us, his people, that we may be the containers of his living glory forever. 
And so God is doing everything and moving everything toward that great climactic activity, that fruition, when we will be one with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit relationally, as First Peter, sorry, Second Peter two one four tells us. And so there are mountaintops of activity in the life of Jesus, but they're valleys. So a mountaintop would be the incarnation, the birth. Then there's a valley, you know, plain, moving along. Then there's a mountaintop of Jesus being baptized in the wilderness. Then we move along, and then there's the mountaintop of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. And then we move along, and then there's a mountaintop of the resurrection. And then there's the mountaintop of the ascension. And then there's a mountaintop of the Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost. And then the final mountaintop for the church will be the return of Jesus from heaven. So that's the way we need to see the Christian life and the work of God. So what does Paul do? In verse 12, Paul begins correcting the destructive teaching by asking a simple question. Now, if Christ is preached. Now remember, they do not disbelieve in the resurrection. There's no one questioning the resurrection. What? You don't believe Jesus rose from the dead? If Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, since Christ has been raised from the dead, how? Do you feel Paul's? How, Jack? How? How is it? John, how is it that some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? Meaning that the members of the church will not be raised. How does that work, Paul says? It's inconsistent. It's inconceivable. Then in the next set of verses, 13 to 19, Paul is going to describe the dire consequences of this teaching that we have not been raised or will not be raised. And the point of these teachings is not to convince us that we're going to be raised this morning because we know that. But the point of the teaching, and I think the impact of this teaching for us today is not to convince us, Linda, you're going to be raised. You know that. The point of the teaching is to emphasize, look what happens If this were to happen and consider the dire consequences, because too often we are not understanding enough of what God has done in his son by raising him from the dead. So let's talk about that. Verses 13 to 19. Verse 13. But if, do you see the if? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then what? This is the baseline problem. This is the baseline problem. Every other problem is the result of this issue. Phil, if we don't believe in the resurrection, then what? Not even Christ has been raised. He's telling the Corinthians... You can't take this issue of whether we're going to be raised or not casually. It is as tied into the truth of Christ's resurrection 
as is the crucifixion. If there's no resurrection, then not even Christ himself has been raised. Now, have we ever thought of that? Have we ever thought of that? No, just that alone, if we stop there today, what does that mean to you? If I, in my body, a new body, in this flesh, if this body itself, if you in your bodies will not experience physical resurrection, it means that you are denying the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So what does that say positively? It says positively that Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. Do you get that? Can you, everybody here this morning? Everybody here? Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. May I say it one more time for our edification? How do I know I'm going to rise from the dead? Because he rose. How do I know my wife will rise from the dead? Because he rose. How do I know that every believer in here will rise from the dead? How do we know that? How? Because there is a man in heaven who has risen and sitting at the right hand of God the Father in the glory. And when he rose, we rose in him with him to be manifested physically in his return. So in these next verses, Paul stated the problem. If we ain't going to rise, he didn't rise. So in the next six verses, Paul's going to elucidate, enumerate, whatever, enlarge on this. Verse 14a, the first part of verse 14. Well, no, I'll just read the whole thing. If Christ has not been raised, remember he said, if you're not going to be raised, Christ didn't rise. Do we see the, the, the argument? We got the argument? If you're not being raised, if you won't be raised, Christ isn't raised. Okay. Now, if Christ isn't raised, then what? Then what? Then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. What you doing here? Why are you here? If there is no resurrection of the Lord Jesus, why are we here? Our preaching is useless. It's foolishness. In fact, we'll see it's worse than that. This faith that you say you have in a risen Savior is ridiculous. If Christ is not raised in our preaching and our faith are useless, worthless. If Christ is not raised from the dead. Frank, where are you? Alpha is stupid. I say this next one very hesitantly for you. School of the word may be worthless. I equivocate on that one. What? Children's church, Evan, why? 
Why? It's useless. Even our ministry to helping people out in the world is ultimately worthless. Do we understand that in the ultimate sense? Why do we gather on Sunday if Jesus isn't alive? Verse 15, he continues, moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses, liars of God, because we testified against God that he has raised Christ, whom he did not rise, if in fact the dead are not raised. So you see, it's worse than just saying your preaching is invalid, worthless, foolish. It's worse than just saying all these activities of the church mean nothing. The real problem here as far as morality is concerned is that if Christ has not been raised, we are saying that God is a liar. Isn't this what the world says regularly all the time? God said he raised Jesus from the dead. But if you say we won't be raised from the dead, then by extension, because of our connection irrevocably in Christ, then Christ has not even been raised from the dead. That means that we are calling God a liar. God is lying when he said Christ has been raised from the dead. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, he repeats himself, then Christ has not been raised. Do you see that? He's pounding it in. Paul reiterates what he said in verse 13 for the purpose of now showing the terrible consequences for each of us in the future. Obviously, the consequence is not only now, but it is for the future. Why? Because we're going to die one day. And our hope is after death, there is what? Life. This is one of the reasons why I picked this up from my wife. I don't remember when, but at someone's funeral, she says to me, he's more alive today than he ever has been. And now I share that at every funeral. Now you think about that loved one who died in Christ, whoever it is, think about that person or those people. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, that person, that family member, those folks, are more alive today than they've ever been. And their best days are ahead of them. How do I know that? Because there is a man that was crucified for us and buried. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. Isn't that what Paul says in the first four verses of this book? I'm sorry, of this letter. What is a first significance? Pastor Keith has talked about a first importance. What is it for us? 
Christ. What? Do you remember what it says? Anybody remind me? I delivered unto you that which I first received. What? First importance. What is the first one? Say it again. Christ died according to the scriptures. The second fact, he was buried. The third fact, he what? Say it again. I can't hear you. I'm, a, I'm deaf. He what? Say it loud, church. He rose from the dead. So you see, Paul is picking, he started the whole chapter anticipating this question in verse 12. Started it, let me tell you something, extremely first importance here. And then he begins to deal with the issue that is, unbeknownst to them, introduced in the first part of the verse, a chapter. Okay, what is the implication to me personally, to you personally, if Christ has not been raised from the dead. And again, you see the opposite of this because Christ is raised from the dead. Then your faith is worthless of no use. Okay, well, okay. Peter, what's the big deal? I mean, so my, my faith isn't, so what? You see, and if your faith is worthless, then you're still in your sins. Oh, 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 I see. That's what that means. That's why that was important to say. You're still in your sins. How can that be? If my faith is useless, how can I still be in my sins? Because you see, we see a verse in Ephesians 2, 8, which says what? Every believer should know this. What? Anybody know what Ephesians 2 8 says? For by grace you will be saved. Ah. Do you notice it doesn't say by grace you're going to be saved if you receive Jesus? Did I say something wrong theologically? May I say it again? Listen carefully. Does the verse say, for by grace you will be saved if you call upon the name of the Lord. If you say, Jesus, help me. If you call to Jesus, he'll come to you. Jesus, Jesus, and he comes running. Here I am. Thank you for asking me. Thank, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for. And now, does it say that? What does it say? For by grace, what? You What? There's one loudmouth over there. I like you, loudmouth. You have been saved. When? I'm sorry about you people on TV land. When? When? You have been saved. When? When? Stop for a moment and think. When? When you called upon the name of the Lord? No. When you believed in Jesus? No. At the cross, God poured out his son to be the full payment for all our sin. So that the most significant words of the cross are found in John 19 verse 30. These are the most significant words from the cross. It 
is finished. Nothing more to do. And the most significant words after the cross, he is risen. For by grace, Paul, you have been saved. When? When Jesus said, it is finished, our salvation was absolutely, completely procured and secured for eternity. Do you believe that? Can you say amen at least? Well then, what is faith? For by grace you have been saved. The word dia, D-I-A. It means through the means of faith. The salvation that Jesus has purchased for us. Our names were in the blood. And when Jesus purchased that salvation, God gave it to us as a gift and moved upon our hearts to say what? Yes, by faith. How many of you in here are saved and you didn't want to be saved? How many of you in here are saved because you said yes? Well, five of you. Faith is our embracement. It is the final act of God in securing our salvation in us. And that faith is not even our work, but it is the what? Gift of God, lest any of us should boast. So you see, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is useless. As a result, verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, in other words, died in Christ, have perished. Well, of course they perished. They died. What does that mean, perish? In this sense is if their faith is useless because Christ has not been raised from the dead, then those who have died already are under the wrath of God eternally. Because everyone... The sin of everyone is paid for, or will rather, endure the wrath of God. Either in his or own her body, or in Christ. I was talking to a fellow one time, and <clears throat> about, it was, I've forgotten the context, but we were talking about dying or whatever. And I said, well, you know, the good news is... We're coming back to life, and every one of us are going to have a body that will never die. Oh, that's good news. I said, well, you know, <laughs> hmm. it depends on where that body will be. The believer's body will be where? With the Lord. The unbeliever's body will be assigned to hell forever. That's not good news. If Christ has not been raised, we will be under the wrath of God. For how long? Forever. 
Verse 19, therefore, if we have hoped in Christ in this life alone, if all you're hoping for in Christ is a better life, a prosperous life, a life where you get your way, a life that is not difficult and pain-free, if that's what you think the resurrection of Jesus is all about, you have seriously missed the purpose of God in raising his son. You see, if Christ has not been raised, we will all, I'm sorry, we will, where am I anyway? Oh, thank you. This is what happens to old people. We are most to be pitied. Why? Because we are without hope in this world. And no matter what we have, the benefits in this world, it won't matter diddly squat. The hair second after our heart stops beating. But look at verse 20. How does Paul begin? But I love these big butts in the Bible. Another big but is Ephesians 2.4. There are some important buts in the Bible. Paul is finished trying to, well, not trying, he isn't trying. Paul is finished explaining. He's finished with that. Okay, I've told you some of the issues involved here, some of the significance. Let's just get down to the truth. What's the truth? But... What's the next word? What's the next word? Do you have a Bible there? Does it say now in your Bible? Now is Christ Jesus what? Risen from the dead. The first fruits of those who sleep. Paul has stopped stopped explaining the issues concerning no resurrection. And now he says, this is the bottom line. What's the bottom line, church? What is the bottom line for us today? Christ is risen. Christ is risen. You see, the hope of the gospel is this. Since Christ has been raised from the dead, none of those consequences that we've seen apply to us. Now, you know, one of the real problems that each one of us has, I think each one of us has this. We have heard and believed in Jesus' resurrection so long that what? We take it what? For granted. Come on, think about it. Think about it. We take it for granted. And yet this monumental work of God should every time we think about it cause us to gasp with amazement and with joy and with hope. Jesus is alive. He is alive. Tuesday morning, Jesus is alive. Wednesday morning, Jesus is still alive. 
COVID or no COVID, Jesus is what? Alive. He's living. We serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. We used to sing that a lot. Remember that, Phil? You don't want me to sing it. Who, if I had a voice, I would sing it. So let me go through just several facts of the resurrection as to the significance for us. In verse 20, and as a result of verse 20, I want to say a few things about the resurrection. He is risen. Remember in the angel told Mary, he's risen in chapter, in, in Luke. He's risen. This is the divine announcement that the father's original intention for his people has now, is now able to be applied to us. How do we know that God loves us? How do we know that? Come on, come on. How do we know it? How do you know God loves you? The Bible tells us that, but how do we know that personally? Because we have experienced the love of God. Amen? Have any of you experienced the love of God? Yes. How do we know that that man on the cross is God's son? How do we know that? You see, at the point of his death and burial and for those many hours before the resurrection, there is no proof that that man was from God. But what is the absolute proof of it? He's alive. That means that everything that God has said and done and promised for his people is true and it will be applied to us in the good and the power of his resurrection. Because apart from the resurrection, the Holy Spirit cannot be sent to save us or to bring that, real, that purchase salvation to us and give it to us. It must be as a result of the resurrection. Thank you. You're not amening me, you're amening what God has done. That means this, that everything from Genesis 3, 6, when Adam ate the fruit, everything from Genesis 3, 6 to Matthew 28 at the crucifixion has been moving toward that announcement. He's risen. Everything, everything, everything from the book of Genesis 3, 6 all the way. We're working, God is working toward that announcement. What announcement? He's risen. Because if he had not risen, even the cross is of, worth, is of no worth. He is risen is the Father's proclamation that he has accepted the atoning ministry of Christ as complete for the full, final, and forever forgiveness of our sin. Jesus being alive means... That God has accepted the death of his son as our death that we deserved because of our sin. The soul that sinneth shall die. Remember in Ezekiel 18. The resurrection proves that God has accepted the death of Jesus as our death. He is risen is the father's announcement that he has justified us and has clothed us with the very righteousness of his son. 
Remember what Romans 5, 1 says, for by, somebody say it, for by what? Faith, you have been justified by, sorry, you have been justified by, help me, somebody help me. I now I've gotten it all mixed up. What does it say? Hmm? We have been justified by faith. What does justified means? It means this. We who were guilty have been declared as not guilty because Jesus has taken the guilt of all of our sin upon himself and has paid the just wrath of God so that the justice of God is absolutely satisfied in the death of Jesus on our behalf and as our substitute. So now God can rightly say, you are my people whose sin is completely forgiven. And I receive you to myself as if you had never committed even one sin. And then he clothes us with the very person of Christ by the spirit. We are clothed with the very righteousness of the son of God himself. He has risen is heaven's cry that in the resurrection of Jesus, death has been put to death. It is a proclamation that Satan's authority over us has been what? Forever broken. It is a proclamation that our sin is forever forgiven. It is a proclamation that sin's authority over us has been removed. It means that the blessings of God, not just some of them or a few of them, all the blessings of God are now ours because of the resurrection. It guarantees that. In the resurrection of Christ, we also have been raised with him. We will be raised with him and we will rule and reign with Christ forever. You see, this is the result of the resurrection. This is where our hope needs to be moment by moment. When things are going bad in your life and the right person didn't get elected. You know, Wednesday morning you wake up and say, oh my God. Or you say, great. Which either way, we have missed what our hope really is. If life is dealing you, as they say, a bad hand, which it doesn't do, but we'll use that foolish term. When things aren't going well or when things are going beautifully. What should we constantly need to remind ourselves about what? He's alive. And Johnny, because he's alive, I also will live forever with him. Amen. He's alive. He's alive. Don't let the devil play with you. Don't let the devil overcome you. Don't let the devil creating you issues that will cause you to be fear, fearful and worried, anxious, angry, frustrated. Why? He is risen and we are his risen people. In view of all this, is there anything of this world that should be able to unsettle our hope? Anything at all? Can anyone name any issue in our lives or in the world that can attack this hope and undo it since Christ is alive.
This is the hope of glory. This is our hope forevermore. Therefore, this is the reason that the Apostle John in 1 John 3, see what love the Father has poured out upon us that we should be called what? The children of God and such we are. And then he says in verse 3, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he himself is pure. This morning, Kurt is going to close us with a worship about the resurrection. Church, let's be those people that we regularly and continually in every circumstance witness to this fact. He's alive. He is alive, you know. He really is alive. You do know that he is alive. And he is coming back. So let's stand and rejoice together. Because it's better in here than it is out there. We will sing in just about 10 seconds. But... Um... Once we get there, get set up. Thank you for that word, Pastor Peter. Very encouraging. Now let's sing that together. The greatest day in history. Death is beaten, you have rescued me. Sing it out. Jesus is alive. The empty cross, the empty grave. Life eternal, you have won the day. Shout it out, Jesus is alive. He's alive. And oh, happy day, happy day. Wash my sin away, oh, happy day, happy day, I'll never be the same.
that day, God, and for that day that you rose from the dead, so you give us new life, and that we have this hope going forward, God, that no matter what happens, Lord, in this world, in this earth, in this world, in this life, Lord, we know that there is a day to come, Lord, that we will be with you. So thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.